Our featured BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders for this episode are Delivering Good, EOD Warrior Foundation, Feed the Children. You can find out more about these and other BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders at give.org. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. This is the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked-about charities. I'm Art Taylor. Well, in this episode, we're going to sum up all of the episodes that we recorded back in 2023. Hard to believe it's 2024, but here we are. And during 2023, we covered a wide range of themes and topics. We engaged nonprofit leaders and philanthropists, corporate social responsibility executives, activists, journalists, and others in discussions that encompassed charity accountability, reimagining organizational leadership, racial justice and reparations, health equity, corporate social responsibility evolution, fostering inclusion, community empowerment, ethical technology development, effective philanthropy, nonprofit financial pressures, and things like pursuing social change through various pathways. Some of the major recurring themes included charity transparency and vetting, responsible fundraising appeals, embracing authentic diversity and inclusion through internal examination and bridging divides, nonprofit collaboration for shared value creation, the importance of community-centered design in tackling systemic issues, leveraging philanthropic and business resources strategically for positive change, persisting despite incremental challenges on long roads towards justice, nurturing promising social impact innovations, developing resilient leadership and self-care practices that inspire colleagues and maintaining optimism that coming generations can drive progress on persisting societal issues if provided mentorship and space for open communications. We started the year off with Maritza Maldonado, who is the founder of Amigos de Guadalupe, and she discussed how her organization supports immigrants and working families in San Jose through education, housing, legal aid, and much more. She highlights being the backbone workforce enabling Silicon Valley despite vast inequality. 
She talked about the disproportionate COVID-19 suffering in marginalized areas and Amigos' crisis response effort. She even shared painful personal and organizational experiences revealing systemic inequalities, but ultimately strengthening her resolve to uplift her community. We then spoke with Brad Dudding of The Bail Project. Brad outlines how cash bail requires pre-trial defendants who are legally innocent to pay for release, enabling wealth, not evidence, to shape justice outcomes. He talked about the pre-trial detention and how it's grown five times over 25 years to about 500,000 people daily, disrupting lives and costing billions. About 2.5 million yearly are jailed solely due to unaffordable bail, violating rights. Brad advocates eliminating cash bail nationally to align with principles of liberty, avoid pretrial harm, and reduce racial disparities. In the interim, he talks about how the Bail Project advocates pilots providing pretrial support to inform policy. I then had the pleasure of interviewing Masiri Aribo and Nassim Ashford, a young couple working in a unique way to assist Black students in the Ukraine-Poland region. They started an organization called Noir United International, which is a humanitarian effort focused generally on marginalized groups. They detail starting the group amidst the Ukraine crisis to help African students and refugees facing discrimination and racism while fleeing danger in addition to the trauma of war. They talk about how their upbringing, families, ancestors, and exposure to inequality shape their worldviews and commitment to uplift communities in need. They express belief in the capabilities of young people to drive change through grassroots organizing institutions. There is discussion also of the importance of persisting despite hurdles celebrating small wins, and pacing oneself for longevity in doing good. This episode conveys an empowering call to action for unity and mobilization worldwide to dismantle systemic inequities. Next, I spoke with Bob Johansson and Christine Bullen about their book, Office Shock. They talked about how recent events like the pandemic have catalyzed changes in how and where people work. They emphasize that technology is enabling new ways of working and creating, but true transformation requires personal shifts in mindsets and having thoughtful conversations to co-create better systems. While the book is titled Office Shock, the authors explain that its framework extends far beyond physical offices into how we show up in communities and organize economies. The goal is prompting reflection on how individuals can find more purpose, think long-term, and contribute to positive change. This book highlights the importance of personal transformation in driving collective action. The speakers stress that conflict and discomfort are essential for learning and should not be avoided when tackling complex challenges. The book intends to spark crucial dialogues across groups to reimagine the future of work 
and living in equitable and sustainable manners. I then spoke with Denver Frederick, host of the Business of Giving podcast for over 11 years. He started the podcast to showcase impactful nonprofit leaders who don't get attention and provide them a platform to share their ideas. Denver entered the nonprofit sector early in his career via the United Way. A pivotal conversation with a corporate CEO made him reflect on the type of positive impact he wanted from his work. Regarding trends in corporate philanthropy, Denver cited the changing employer-employee relationship. He feels innovation in charitable engagement now comes from groups like United Way that were most disrupted by reduced workplace giving and payroll deduction funds. In his book, The Business of Giving, Denver drafts tips and validations for nonprofit leaders that are derived from his recurring guest questions during COVID especially. It focuses on reimagining leadership approaches. Some of the key suggestions include differentiating one versus two door decisions, getting probabilities, not just yes, no opinions, and decision hygiene, which are steps like defining success early. Denver emphasizes facilitative, values-driven leadership. I spoke then with Luke Mickelson, the founder of Sleep in Heavenly Peace, a nonprofit providing beds to children. Luke recounts how building a bed for one child in need sparked a broader effort. He highlights the surprising prevalence of child homelessness with makeshift sleeping situations and the embarrassment causing it to go unaddressed. The conversation covers the bed building events, tapping into people's desire to help. After gaining traction on social media, Sleep in Heavenly Peace expanded across the United States through volunteer-run chapters working to ensure no local child lacks a proper place to sleep. Luke emphasizes how the experience gave him renewed purpose when he struggled with meaning in life. By lifting up others, he found profound fulfillment. This story conveys that contributing to solutions taps into our shared humanity and interdependence. I was then interviewed by Laura Pichon, a student at DePaul University. So we sort of flipped the script. I explained during this interview that my organization, the BBB Wise Giving Alliance, evaluates and rates charities on 20 accountability standards to help donors make informed giving decisions. We focus on charities that publicly solicit or that request reviews. During the interview, I state that the most important thing for charities is to follow through on promises and being transparent. If plans change, communicating that openly retains trust. I discuss the thorough process of re-examining accredited charities when we receive concerning information. It involves extensive back-and-forth questioning with the charity to complete our reports. I argue against over-reliance on restricted donations, noting they limit charity flexibility amidst rapidly shifting landscapes. I endorse trust-based philanthropy, built on relationships enabling unrestricted funds apply to evolving priorities. 
I talk about charities needing consistent organizational fundraising capabilities versus dependence on occasional large board member gifts. This requires promoting the mission, identifying and moving donors along a journey into deeper partnership. It necessitates ethical, committed professionals. In summary, I focus substantially on charity accountability, the investigation protocols when issues arise post-accreditation, and cautioned against over-restricting donations. I advocate for relationship-based fundraising organizations versus reliance on periodic large board member gifts for revenue consistency. I had the chance to talk to Shawnee Benton Gibson about a documentary film that she helped organize called Aftershock. During that interview, we got to talk about Shawnee's personal loss and her journey into advocacy, historical and systemic racism behind maternal mortality, the critical role of male allies and community when this terrible event occurs, the loss of a child or the loss of a parent during childbirth, the film itself and its impact, also practical guidance to protecting birthing people. Related to Shawnee's devastating experience losing her daughter after childbirth, it set her on a path to address alarmingly high maternal mortality rates, especially for Black women. The discussion that we had explored how racial trauma, bias, and lack of listening continues to claim lives. Shawnee also conveyed the vital support she received from male relatives in spreading awareness, including through the powerful documentary film Aftershock. Also, we talk about practical tips for birthing people to actively safeguard themselves by vetting providers and facilities. While processing raw grief, Shawnee underscores the urgent need to dismantle systemic racism and humanize care to honor pregnancy and childbirth as a universally shared passage toward new life. Conversation aimed to galvanize audiences to take action for equitable outcomes. My friend Mark Shamley and I have an in-depth discussion about how corporate philanthropy and social responsibility efforts have evolved over time, from more informal CEO relationships with nonprofits to more strategic business-integrated CSR initiatives. Mark explained his motives for dedicating his career to corporate philanthropy, stemming from his nonprofit marketing experience and desire to leverage business resources for social impact. He outlined the community development pillars and partnership-based approach of Lyft Orlando, where he currently oversees community impact. We also discussed the difficulties companies face in sustaining diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, including issues with goal setting and accountability. We emphasized the need for honest conversations and cross-cultural communication skills to drive understanding and progress. And now it's time for our Giving Tips segment with Bennett Weiner, one of the world's most renowned experts on charity accountability and the COO of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance. Many of you will get an offer in the mail from a charity or maybe even online suggesting that you sign up with a new credit card 
that's affiliated with the charity. Maybe the charity's logo or some related image is appearing on the card. And there's a promise that the charity is going to be helped by transactions you make with it. If you get such an offer, here are a few things to keep in mind. Number one, see if the promotion identifies how much of the transaction is actually going to benefit the charity. Sometimes these promotions are vague and not very clear and don't disclose at all how much the charity gets per transaction. It may be a small amount, that's okay, but you should know before you sign up. The other thing to keep in mind is, is this an organization you want to support? Are you familiar with them? Check out the organization. Visit their website. Go to give.org to see if they meet the BBB charity standards. The other thing also is sometimes these promotions may have interest rates on the card that may be higher than you normally would get from signing up for some other card. So the fact that the charity is getting help is great, but if the interest rate is high, you may want to consider making a direct donation instead of just transacting with the card. That's an option for you to think about as well. Bottom line, the better transparency, the better decisions you can make whether you want to sign up and help a charity by using one of these credit cards to assist their cause. In my conversation with Amy Gilbreth, the CEO of PetSmart Charities, she outlines PetSmart Charities' mission of helping pets by supporting the human-animal bond, giving pets benefits for people's well-being. She points out an example of how pets help seniors combat loneliness. Amy explains the donation option at PetSmart Registers, which facilitates millions in annual grants. About one in five to six transactions involve optional $1 to $10 customer donations that aggregate to major funding for animal welfare. She states the in-store adoption program, enabling rescues, shelter space, to find homes for over 10 million pets. Over 30 years this has happened, and it's their best-known effort. But funding also aids affordability of veterinary care and pet food access. Collaborations with groups like Red Rover on domestic violence shelters accepting pets and integrating animal assistance into Red Cross disaster response are also highlighted. Amy argues the link between poverty and animal welfare challenges means completely solving issues requires tackling systemic societal inequities. But measurable step-by-step progress boosting pet well-being is worthwhile and exciting. I did a two-part episode with Katya Zuk, a Ukrainian living in Poland. She's also the head of a charity organization that monitors charities in the Ukraine called Charity Turner. She has a lot to say about what's happening on the ground for refugees. She discussed her journey into charity accountability work in Ukraine. She highlights issues with fraud from scam fundraising boxes on streets to more recent online schemes. This led her to co-found the monitoring group, Charity Turner, to identify trustworthy organizations. Much of the conversation centered on the impacts of the war on Ukrainians but those displaced and still in the country. Key needs identified were housing, shelter support, and psychological and emotional assistance given the collective trauma. Other priorities included healthcare education and employment. 
There was a lot of emphasis on the importance of aid groups maintaining transparency even during the crisis to show donations are properly used. Katya notes many Ukrainian charities are still committed to accountability despite challenges. And she seeks to educate global citizens on how to reasonably support humanitarian efforts. One of our most listened to episodes was with Ken Hodder, the head of the USA Salvation Army. Ken discussed the extensive global reach of the Salvation Army and its broad mission to preach the gospel and serve human needs without discrimination. The Salvation Army leader detailed his multi-generational family history with the organization and how he returned to the work after initially pursuing law. He covers the diverse social service, spiritual, and emergency relief programs the Salvation Army operates based on local community needs. The conversation touched on concerning data, which show decreasing charitable giving over time in the United States, especially among younger Americans. Factors like lack of trust in institutions, the lack of awareness of philanthropic impact were considered. There was a shared belief that cultivating a hopeful vision for the future and educating people on community needs could help reinvigorate generosity. The Salvation Army had expressed conviction that coming together in common purpose and addressing challenges creatively can lead to positive national and global progress. I spoke with Mari Kuraishi, who is the co-founder of Global Giving and also the CEO of the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund. And Mari talks about the serendipitous path into philanthropic work and her decision to start global giving after identifying inefficiencies in international aid delivery. She highlights the difficulties of getting an organization off the ground with lean funding, but emphasizes the lessons around persistence, creativity, and making gradual improvements that embedded their model ultimately to a thriving place. There is discussion of early strategies to make online donating appealing and their discovery that disasters and nonprofit partnerships would drive platform engagement. In part two of my interview with Mari, she talks about the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund's pivoting its focus toward diversity, equity, and inclusion by upholding the spirit versus strict dictates of original donor intent. Also, she argues that funders should support organizations listening to their customers as rigorously as the for-profit sector. The episode highlights the need to continually re-examine if good intentions produce good outcomes. Back in May, I had the chance to speak with Darren Isom, who is a partner at the Bridgespan Group. Darren describes his journey from finance to nonprofit consulting, driven by his desire for more fulfilling work. We also discussed the shift happening as baby boomer leaders retire and millennials take on more leadership, requiring onboarding and transition support. We talk about the increasing professionalization 
and formal training in nonprofit management, while also retaining the heart of the work. We talk about the sector's evolution towards more systems change and social justice-focused work, requiring different skill sets and thinking. In part two of our interview, Darren discusses the evolution of his activism from critiquing systems to constructing solutions and the importance of giving activists space to better imagine systems. We talk about the role of art and music as activism, from expressing culture and connecting communities to driving social change outcomes. Faith institutions is also a theme. We extensively look at the historical role of Black churches as sources of community advocacy, philanthropy, and education. We talk about leadership through turbulent times and the quality of current social justice leadership. And we express hope in progress despite current chaos and polarization. In my interview with Nancy Brown, the CEO of the American Heart Association, we talked about her lifelong dedication to the American Heart Association's mission, which originated from her mother's strong example of community service. Nancy discussed recent declines and current resurgences in cardiovascular disease mortality attributed to waning medical progress and lifestyle factors. We also talked about emerging opportunities to spread CPR awareness and training following Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin's on-field cardiac arrest. Nancy also conveyed the organization's increasing efforts around health equity research, social determinants, and cross-sector collaboration. She reflected on her leadership approach of empowering talented teams and forming authentic connections. While underlining Nancy's personal passion, our conversation spotlighted the Heart Association's resolve to understand and combat persistent health threats. It focused on the immense potential to engage more people in life-saving skills and create greater social supports for well-being. I spoke with Stacy Palmer, the CEO of the Chronicle of Philanthropy, who reflected on her longtime dedication to bolstering nonprofit media from her early days inspired by the Washington Post reporters who uncovered Watergate to her current role leading the Chronicle of Philanthropy. The discussion focused on societal unawareness of the nonprofit sector and the critical need to improve news coverage through not only their partnership with the Associated Press, but also outreach to local journalists. Also, as part of the Chronicle's recent transition to a nonprofit, Stacy emphasized the importance of showcasing diverse perspectives and fostering open, solution-focused dialogue across ideological differences. Overall, Stacy conveyed optimism around growing resources and rising generations' passion for service, brightening the sector's future. Mission Forward CEO Carrie Fox and I had an extensive discussion of how nonprofits can improve their communication, storytelling, and messaging to better connect with stakeholders and constituents. This included being audience-focused, aligning external messaging with internal identity, and communicating impact. We also discussed four key practices of courageous leaders to drive social change, daring to ask questions, digging into issues, 
widening lens to see connections and following through. We got into racial equity and social justice commitments. We talked about collaborations and partnerships, the value of these, including how nonprofits can work together and leverage partnerships for greater impact. And we got into the role of AI and potential opportunities and ethical concerns around emerging technologies like AI. And we also discussed the impact on society and the social sector of these technologies. I had a discussion with my college friend, Mary Kalan, who is the principal at Hands-On Fundraising, about the integral role of fundraising for nonprofit organizations to carry out their missions. We talked about the need for fundraisers to tap into emotion and show authentic vulnerability when crafting appeals to donors. Our conversation also covered the significance of stewardship and properly acknowledging gifts regardless of size. We explored ways to make giving more accessible to people across income levels. We reflected on the meaning, purpose, and human impact that a career in fundraising can provide despite common hesitations people may have about asking others for money. Our discussion centered on multiple facets of the fundraising process, highlighting its ability to fuel nonprofit work and its capacity to be a rewarding profession when done thoughtfully with genuine human connection. Our dialogue emphasized skills fundraisers must have and hone while recognizing the emotions on both sides of the donor-charity relationship. I did a two-part episode on marketing in a fragmented media world with marketing professionals Therese Kong and Angela Walton. During my episode with Therese, we explored how nonprofits can maximize their marketing impact by deeply knowing their various stakeholder groups and supporters. Therese explained techniques for developing personas and tracking where subgroups fall along an awareness-to-advocacy continuum, which enables tailored communications that speak to donors' and volunteers' motivations. Additionally, she covered optimizing limited marketing dollars by focusing on high-potential outreach channels and pipeline stages. I emphasized the difficulty of evaluating marketing performance, and Therese stressed the need for foundational, Relationship building work versus quick wins. In my conversation with Angela Walton, she outlines macro forces like economic uncertainty and declining philanthropic giving that are impacting consumers and their willingness to support nonprofits. She explains the marketing landscape is more fragmented, making identifying and engaging target audiences in relevant, meaningful ways more challenging. She notes the traditional media still has strengths like storytelling. She states nonprofits are reevaluating digital platforms as content and effectiveness evolves. Some pause on uncertainty while others shift focus to growing, engaging channels like Instagram and LinkedIn. She advises customized, segmented approaches, catering messages and mediums to audiences' needs. She also stresses integrating data technology for robust campaigns and consistent brand storytelling across channels. In a solo episode, I talk about the recent Supreme Court decision ending affirmative action in college admissions. I also talk about my personal experience benefiting from affirmative action. 
I also talk about the widening diversity and need for inclusion. I talk about transitioning mindsets on DEI. I support transitioning from a scarcity-based fear mindset on diversity, equity, and inclusion to one grounded in abundance and opportunity creation. I examine system biases and argue that substantive DEI work involves scrutinizing systems, policies, and cultures within organizations to identify and mitigate biases that impede people. I talk about the importance of bridging differences and polarization in our country. Given widening polarization, I stress the importance of open communication across differences to build trust and heal divides. I have a great talk with my friend and sector colleague Jacob Harold about his book, The Toolbox, Strategies for Crafting Social Impact. Jacob discusses his motivation for writing this book that provides social change leaders a toolbox of frameworks covering storytelling, mathematical modeling, ethics, and other key strategies. We try to understand the state of society, and Jacob emphasizes leaders taking time to assess conditions and trends in society related to their cause, covering the good, the bad, and the rapidly changing uncertainties. We talk about decision-making based on assessing evidence and risk while recognizing certainty is declining and maintaining ethical guardrails. We talk about the importance of sharing lessons on social impact across the private, government, and nonprofit sectors. And also, while concerned about institutional inertia, Jacob expresses hope in society's expanding resources aimed at doing good through nonprofits and social businesses. So with that, we'll conclude part one of my summary of the Heart of Giving podcast released in 2023. Now, if you've heard anything that sparks your interest, I hope you'll go back and listen to the full episode, which you can find on any major podcast platform. And while you're there, make sure you hit subscribe so you'll get every new episode as it comes out on Tuesday. We'll conclude next week with the final half of the episodes for 2023. And so you'll be all caught up when we start fresh with our episode for 2024. I hope you've all had a great holiday season and you're now looking forward to a prosperous and active 2024. We'll see you back here next week. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.